Well, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. And this morning, we're going to look at the first eight verses of Romans 12. Um, And I'm just going to begin by reading those eight verses there. Um, Paul there in Romans 12, verse 1, begins by saying, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, and he exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality, and he who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And so the title of the message this morning here is Reasonable Service for a Great King. And, you know, the idea of serving a noble and just king is written about and even romanticized in many pieces of literature. Uh, perhaps God placed that idea in us knowing that we will be called to this type of relationship with him, be called to serve him, a great king. For us as Americans, right, the idea of serving any king or even a great king is a foreign idea. And it's not something that uh, we're too interested in as Americans. And most of us would object, object to the idea. You know, coming in here this morning, I was reminded of that uh, passing two vehicles with, and I'm not making a statement against this by saying this, but with the license plate that says, don't tread on me. And, you know, so we see that all the time. I will say, on a side note of that, it was interesting the two different types of vehicles that that was on. One was a very small little vehicle, and one was a dually pickup diesel. And I was thinking, the little small vehicle, I don't think that license plate fits you very well. Don't tread on me. You'd get run over in no time. So, um, but anyway, that's us as Americans. We, we're in this mindset of, well, don't tread on me. Don't uh, take my rights. But yet, we as believers are called to something different. We're called to serve a great king. And that's the call here that Paul gives us in Romans chapter 12. He begins there in verse 1 with a call to sacrifice. And he says, I beseech you. And that word beseech means to urge strongly, to appeal to. Now, I just want to remind you, you you may know this, but the letter of 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 Romans that Paul wrote here to the Roman church Um, he's writing to people that he doesn't know most of them. He's never been to Rome. And so for Paul to make this appeal to people he doesn't know um, is rather striking to me. But I think he's able to make it and makes it rightly so because this is the Lord speaking. This is the Lord's appeal to these individuals, to them to, to hear and to present and to offer themselves as a sacrifice. So first of all, he tells them to present your body. There in verse 1, and we'll come back in a moment to the, what he says there about the mercies of God. But I just want to talk first about the other part of this verse where he says that you present your bodies. That word present, as it is used here, means in the language of sacrifice to offer, to bring, to present. That's what Paul is telling us to do, to offer our bodies, to present them to the Lord. 
Now, that Greek word that Paul uses there is used eight times in the book of Romans. And five of those times are in Romans chapter 6. So if you would turn with me back to Romans 6, I want to read this section because I think it connects to what Paul is telling us here in Romans chapter 12. And we'll pick it up in verse 13 down through verse 20. And again, five times Paul uses this word present here. And verse 13 says, Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for, not, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we, shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are the one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But, thank, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to uh, more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So you see there, Paul is telling us that just as in the past, we, before Christ, we presented ourselves to sin. We, we offered ourselves to sin because that's who we were. We were sinners. But now in contrast, because of Christ in our lives, we have the opportunity now to instead to present ourselves to the Lord and to righteousness. And that's what he's calling us here to in Romans chapter 12. And, you know, that word present, the way it's used in Romans chapter 6, means to place beside, to put at someone's disposal. So again, the idea is, is we have the opportunity to put ourselves at God's disposal instead of at the disposal of sin and lawlessness, which is what we once had really no choice but to do apart from Christ, before Christ came into our lives. And the voice of the Greek verb that's used in Romans 6 and in here in Romans 12 is the active voice. And that means, it makes it clear that this is a personal action. It's something we do. We present ourselves to the Lord. Paul is appealing to us to do this because it's a matter of our will. It's a, a thing that we have to decide to do. Uh, no one can do it for us, right? We can't do it for others. I can't make my children present themselves to the Lord. I can't make anyone in my life do that. I, each of us, have the opportunity to decide whether we're going to present ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. Uh, God doesn't force us to do it. We must willingly offer ourselves to him. I want to read uh, what uh, David Guzik said here about this. He says, it is best to see the body here as a reference. So we're going to talk now about this, what is Paul representing as a reference to our entire being. Whatever we say about our spirit, soul, flesh, and mind, we know that they each live in our bodies. When we give the body to God, the soul and spirit go with it. Present your body means that God wants you, not just your work. You may do all kinds of work for God, but never give him yourself. And so God wants us, is what Paul is telling us here. God wants us to present ourselves to him. And, you know, unlike um, maybe sometimes our misunderstanding can be, because obviously there's been wicked kings down through history and wicked people who have ruled, our king, the one that's calling us to this, 
He's not going to tread on us. He's not going to force us and grind us into submission. He's calling us to willfully decide to, to present our lives to him. So Paul goes on here, I think, to answer the question, what are we to present our life as? And that takes us to my second point here, which is a living sacrifice. There is still in verse 1, he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. It is a living sacrifice that God's called us to. Our sacrifice is not one that's consumed in a moment of time on an altar of worship. And again, I think you have to have in your mind as Paul's writing this, He's a, he's a Jew, right? And he was raised in the Jewish tradition and was very familiar with the sacrifices that they would make on the altar to the Lord. And so that's what he has in mind and in picture here. But the difference is, is that unlike those sacrifices that were offered and consumed and burned up on the altar, this sacrifice is one that is a living sacrifice. It's not consumed in a moment of time. It continues on. We are now to give uh, to give our lives for the Lord. Being a living sacrifice for every, is for every believer. And I just want to make that point here too. It's for every believer, no matter your age or your background. And so this morning, if you're young or if you're old or if you're somewhere in between, the appeal, the urge here for us this morning is to offer our lives to the Lord as a living sacrifice. This is what the Lord is calling us to. You know, there can be, I think, this, this can be played out in two, way, two different ways in our lives over, as we walk with the Lord. You know, there can be a significant moment in our life when we offer our life to the Lord because he's put something upon our heart that he's calling us to. You know, I think, uh, you know, you think back in the Old Testament, um, you think of the life of Abraham. There where Abraham is called by the Lord to that big moment where he's called to offer his son Isaac on the altar. And that was a big moment of sacrifice for Abraham. But it didn't, come in, it didn't come without the relationship that they had. In fact, that chapter there in Genesis says, after these things. And so Abraham had had this ongoing relationship with the Lord. And the Lord brought him to this place of being in a place where he could, because he knew who the Lord was, he could offer and give, give something that cost, was going to cost him so much. But now, again, back to the point about ourselves, you know, they are, in our lives, this I think can play out in two big ways. There's the daily, moment by moment, saying the Lord, to the Lord, this day, Lord, is yours. My life is yours. I present my life, my body, all of me to you this day. But then I think in our lives as we walk with the Lord, there's those monumental and big moments in our life where the Lord calls us to something. And he puts something upon our heart. And I think for myself, I'm thinking, as I was thinking and studying this, I was thinking back to when I was like 11 or 12 years old. And the Lord stirring my heart uh, with a desire to, for ministry. And in that time, I thought in particular, particular it was going to be the mission field, to go somewhere and to be a missionary. And I remember uh, knowing that it was the Lord that was calling me to it. But I also remember, like, I wasn't ready for that. I remember resisting it, and unfortunately, and sadly, and shame on me, for years, kind of just running the other direction. Um, so much so that by my early 20s, when I was in college, I came to college with the plan that I was going to do criminal justice, and I was going to go into law enforcement. That's what I wanted to do. And there at college, though, the Lord spoke to me again, 
and said, no, remember what I put on your heart? Remember that offering that I wanted you to give? It's still there. I still am calling you to that. And by God's grace, God enabled me to surrender that to him again and the change direction. And that's led me to where I am here today, you know, here. And, you know, so that was that big moment in my life. And so perhaps this morning you can think back on your life and you can remember a time where the Lord was putting something in your heart and calling you to something. And if that has something you've not answered the call to this morning, I just want to encourage you, it's still there. The Lord is still calling you, and I encourage you to surrender to it, you know, to let the Lord have your life and to do what he wants to do with it. So it's a living sacrifice that the Lord is calling us to. And Paul uses here two adjectives to describe it. The first one is holy. And that Greek word hagios, os, hagios, which means pertaining to being dedicated or consecrated to the service of God. And the Greek lexicon that I was studying says it was sh- it's shading over into the sense of holy equals pure, perfect, worthy of God. And so now I know your first thought may be like, well, wait a second here. <laughs> I'm not perfect, right? So how does this work? I'm not perfect. I desire to be holy. I desire to be what God's calling me to be, but I'm not perfect, so therefore I can't offer myself to God yet because I'm not there. Well, Philippians 1.6, I think, tells us something interesting. There, Paul, reminding those believers, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The Lord is working in each believer, right? He started the work that is in my life and in yours, okay? So the fact that we are even anywhere with the Lord is because he started it and he's going to finish it. That's the promise there in Philippians 1.6. And Philippians 2.12 through 13, Paul there says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, now as in my presence only, not in my, as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So there's the contrast, right? God's begun the work. He's going to complete the work, but we're called to participate in the work that God's doing. We're called to be a part of it. And so Paul's exhortation there in Philippians to these believers was that they work out their salvation with fear and trembling. You know, and I think how that plays out is by us yielding to the Lord in our lives, by us yielding to what his spirit is showing us and what his spirit is speaking to us. So the good news here, we may not be there yet, perfect, but by God's grace, we're still holy in Jesus Christ, and we're now able by his grace to offer ourselves to him to, as a sacrifice, as this living sacrifice, we get to be active participants in this and yielding to his work in our life. Uh, Guzik, again, on this is the holiness we bring to the altar is a decision for holiness and yielding to the work of holiness in our, in our life. As we present our bodies a living sacrifice, God makes our life holy by burning away the impurities. And I like that, because that's what it is. We offer ourselves to God, realizing we're imperfect, but we offer ourselves to him, and he takes care of burning away the impurity. He takes care of making us who we need to be. But we just have to be willing. 
We have to be willing to yield and to let the Lord have his way in our lives. And so the first, again, adjective Paul uses to describe there is holy. And then he goes on to say, to use the word acceptable there in verse 1. And the Greek and Roman world, <clears throat> this word was commonly said of things, and especially of persons noted for their civic-minded generosity, who endeavor to do things that are pleasing. So acceptable. This is the kind of person that Paul's talking about here, is a person that endeavored to do things that are pleasing. And that's what he's calling us to do. Just desire, endeavor, seek to do what's pleasing to the Lord. Um, in the New Testament, that word is almost exclusively used of deeds that are pleasing to God or Christ. So again, that's the idea. Is acceptable means desiring to, to be pleasing, desiring to be something that the Lord can use. And I think this is a natural outcome of the walk with Jesus in our lives, right? <clears throat> As we walk with him, then we will desire to be pleasing to him. It just happens naturally as we grow in our relationship with Christ. He'll work that desire in us. That will be our aim. That will be what we want for our lives. Paul expresses it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.9. He says, therefore, listen, he says, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. And so that's what Paul is talking about, about, about back here in chapter 12 of Romans, is in the, that we desire to be holy and acceptable. We, de, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to Christ. Uh, the idea is that our target should be to please the Lord. That's what we're aiming for. Think about how much this simplifies our life, if you think about it. If our only desire is to please the Lord. Our aim in, in this walk with the Lord is not to please the person we're married with, too. It's not to please our friends, it's not to please our employer or anyone else. Our one thing that we should be aiming at is to please the Lord. What is pleasing to him? And, and if we do that, then all those other things will work out. It won't be, doesn't mean there won't be challenges, but it just, just sets us free. I don't need to worry about pleasing other people. I just need to worry about pleasing the, the Lord. And so that's what Paul is calling us as believers to, is a living sacrifice that's holy and that's acceptable, one that's where we desire to be pleasing to the Lord. So this is the call that Paul's giving. I want to talk now about the reasonable service there that he mentions in the last part of verse 1. He says, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That word reasonable there means pertaining to being carefully thought through, thoughtful. Okay? So he's calling us to think about one who is calling us to this kind of life, a life of a living sacrifice, to think about what he's done for us and, um, and to think about what all that entails and means for us and for our relationship with the Lord. And so I think the question to ask that we each have to ask ourselves, and my prayer is that myself, I would do this this morning and that you would do this this morning, is that is it unreasonable for God to expect us to serve him as a living sacrifice. Is that unreasonable that he's asking that of us? And, and if your mind is like, well, I don't know about this. I'm not sure. Well, let's talk about, first of all, who God is. Now, I want us to turn back to the book of Malachi, uh, Malachi chapter 1. And 
<clears throat> this book was given to, to Israel um, after their return from exile. It was a book that was written after the temple had been reconstructed and the sacrifices and the worship was going on. And it was the last word that God gave to his people until the time of Christ. And so I think, you know, that's pretty significant, right? He was got, so God was going to communicate some important things to them. And what I like about here in chapter 1, verses 6 through 14, and we're going to read this, God declares who he is. This is who God is. And so let's read that. Starting in verse 6, it says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. But then I'm the father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts. To you priests who despise my name, yet you say, In what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, In what way have we defiled you? By saying, The table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Who is there among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering from my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it, in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food, is contemptible. You also say, oh, what weariness, and you sneer at it, it says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. And listen to this, what he says about himself. He says, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And so there... You know, the people were being challenged about their worship of the Lord and the context of who it is that's challenging them to this. I'm a great king. My name is to be feared. My name is to be praised, says the Lord. And so we need to keep in mind, you know, who the Lord is. Um, You know, in this, we see the importance God places on worshiping him rightly there in Malachi. You know, they were treating God with less respect than a human authority. They were ripping God off in their worship. They were complaining about serving him and just going through the motions. God lets them know it's not acceptable, right? He's to be worshiped rightly for he is a great king. He is a great king. And, you know, and as I was thinking about this this morning, you know, again, comparing an earthly king to our heavenly king, you know, there is no earthly king, no matter how noble or just it's ever been like the king that we get to serve, The king we get to serve gave up his life for us, right? He laid down his life. He died for us so that we could have life. And so I think that's why our next point here is in view of God's mercy. Um, So Paul there in the beginning of verse 1, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Um, This is a plea to be a living sacrifice. It comes in the view of, of the mercies of God. It's not... Apart from that, the mercies of God are an integral part of this call 
to be a living sacrifice. In the preceding chapters of Romans, the 11 chapters that have passed already here, um, Paul has shown us that every person has a need for salvation. He's shown that only, that only comes by faith in Christ here in the book of Romans. He's shown that we're justified in Christ and no longer under condemnation. We're adopted into the family of God. We're given the spirit of God. And that's just a taste. That's just a little bit of the things that Paul says there. And I just want to read one of the sections, two verses from Romans 8, 31 through 32. Just again, talking about the Lord and what he's done. Romans 8, 31 and 32 says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all? How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And so there, Paul is reminding us of what the Lord's done. He's given up his son for us. And how much more will he not give us all things that we need? And so this is who we're being called to uh, give our lives, offer our lives to as a living sacrifice. It's the one who's loved us more than anyone ever could. You know, in chapter 11, of Romans, Paul had just declared God's work of bringing Gentiles into his plan of salvation, while at the same time using that to bring Israel back to himself as well. Paul ends that section with this declaration of worship, and I'll pick it up in verse 33. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom, belong, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And that leads us into Romans chapter 12, and where we are here this morning. And so, that can't be disconnected from what we're talking about. God didn't just show up and say, submit to me, follow me, be a living sacrifice. God did these amazing things for us so that we could be saved. Um, the word mercies that's used here means compassion, care, concern. Um, you know, it indicates mercy or compassion toward people from the perspective of God. So we're being called here by Paul there in verse 1 to think on the compassion, the care, and the concern that God has shown us. And if you know the Lord this morning, you know his compassion. You know his care and his concern for you. This is who's calling you and I to be a living sacrifice. It's not some stranger. It's not someone who could care less about us. It's someone who loves us dearly and has been compassionate to us. Um, I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 2. And this is verses 1 through 6. And just again, just a reminder of where we were when the Lord found us and what the Lord has done. He says there in Ephesians 2, 1, he says, In you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others." 
But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive, alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so, what an amazing salvation that we've been given. You know, we were hopelessly, I was, and you were hopelessly dead in your sins. It's where we were. We were following the course of the world, and we were headed to destruction. And God entered the picture. He stepped in, and he showed us mercy. He, he brought us from death to life. And as if that wasn't enough, you know, he has not only given us the grace and saved us and brought us into relationship, but he's given us now and seated us in heaven with Christ. I mean, what an amazing salvation. So again, this call to be a living sacrifice is connected to all of that. It's not off on an island by itself. It's directly connected to it. And I love what the many, like Paul, and many of his letters, just like he's done in Romans here, and like he does in Ephesians, you know, he takes the time, and this is the Lord, it takes the time to first show us what God's done before making the call to what we're called to. And so, if this at all seems unreasonable to us this morning, we need to go back and remember and contemplate the compassion and the mercy that the Lord has shown us. Because the call that, that's being made by the Lord here is not at all unreasonable in light of who the Lord is and what the Lord's done. And, you know, I want to say, too, about this thing of being a living sacrifice— you know, perhaps in your mind, when you think of that, you think, oh, wow, that sounds like gritting my teeth. I got to grit my teeth and just bear with it and just make myself do this and chug along. That's going to be some miserable, drudgery thing to be a living sacrifice. But that's not what it is. It's not like that at all. And in fact, that's not the kind of sacrifice the Lord wants from us. He doesn't want us the attitude of like, oh, well, I guess I'll do this. This is going to be miserable. Oh, I hate this. No, that's not what it is. It's going to be something we get to offer ourselves to this great king who has shown us such mercy and love and is not miserable offering yourself to the Lord. It's a wonderful thing. And I will say, I personally can say from my own life, it is the greatest thing you can ever do is to Commit your life to the Lord and yield to him. And let him take you on this journey that who knows? I had no idea, and I still have no idea where the rest of the journey will take me. But I had no idea the journey would take me to where it's taking me now. But the Lord has a plan, and serving him is not a miserable thing. So what's at stake? We've talked about who God is. We've talked about what he's done. And so what's at stake if we don't, you know, yield ourselves to the Lord. I mean, I think two very different lives are at stake. We can have a meaningless and hopeless life or a meaningful and full life. A life lived for the flesh and sin or a life lived for God. That's really the two choices. We don't get to say, I'm not going to live my life as a living sacrifice. I'm just going to sit here neutral and kind of make my way through life. No, <laughs> you're by not yielding myself to the Lord, I'm going to serve another master. I'm going to serve my flesh. I'm going to go back to what Paul says there in Romans 6, where we were before Christ, of offering, presenting myself to sin and to the flesh. 
the Lord says through Paul in Galatians 6, 7 through 9, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And so there's, that's the two choices. We can yield to the Lord, we can be surrendered to him, and yield to his spirit and his will in our lives, or we're going to do the opposite. We're going to yield to the flesh. That's the only two options. And so what kind of life do we want to have? And again, is it unreasonable for God to expect us to serve him? That's the question I want us to ask ourselves. Is it unreasonable for God to ask you to do that thing he is asking you to do? Now you probably have, there's very likely this morning, there's some in here who have something in their mind that they know God's been asking them to do. And the question you have to ask of yourself, is it unreasonable that God would ask that of me? Is it unreasonable? And if the answer, which I believe the answer is no, then go yield to it. You know, let the Lord do what he wants there. Let him have what he's calling you to give to him. Um, That brings us to our next point here in verse 2. Where Paul exhorts us, do not conform, um, there in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As believers, we are a new creation in Christ. However, the world and our flesh do not stop working to conform us to its mold. The world is at work, our flesh is at work to wanting to conform us to the mold of the world and to the sinful nature. That word there, transform, is a Greek word which means to change inwardly in fundamental character or condition, to be changed, to be transformed. And the good news about this is that that word, the verb there, is in the passive voice. And so what that means, again, is the subject, us, is the receiver of the action. We don't transform ourselves. It's the Lord's work upon us that's transforming us. And that's making us new. Paul in 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. The same, it's the same Greek word there. Into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of God. So here's the key. Paul tells us is, is that we have to dwell in the presence of the Lord there in that verse. And as we dwell in his presence... We're going to be transformed. He's going to do the work in our lives by his spirit. He's going to change us. And hopefully you've seen that in your life. I mean, hopefully as you look back on your life, you see that you're not the same person that you were when Christ met you, when you met Christ and came into that relationship with him. And so we're, again, I think, get to actively participate in this, though, by yielding to the Lord by spending time in his presence, by spending time in his word, by prayer, by worship. And as we do that, the Lord is working. He's transforming. He's changing us. And the purpose of us, this transformation, Paul tells us, is so that we can know God's will for our lives. He says there in verse 2, that she may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And this excites me when I think about this, I and you, we get to know what God wants for our life. 
There's, the, of course, the general will that uh, we can look in Scripture. There's things that apply to every one of us as believers. That's his will for us. But then there's also the God's sp- specific will for our lives that he's calling us to. And we get to know. We get to know what our Heavenly Father wants for our life. We, get to, we don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder and hope we make the right decision. We get to know Because as we spend time with him and he transforms us, we get to know what his will is. And and he desires to reveal that to us. He desires to show us. And and knowing him is going to be, knowing God's will is going to be a key part of being a loving sacrifice that is pleasing to God. You know, I think that's also important to recognize here. We don't get to decide what being a loving sacrifice looks like. Hmm, I think this is what I get to do to be a living sacrifice. No, God has a will for you and for me. And what that will is and walking in it is us being the living sacrifice that God has called us to. Um, So we have to seek his will. We have to to know, and, and the good news again is God wants us to know. He wants us to know what his will is for our lives. And so in verses 3 through 8, I call this section a living, uh, what a, a living sacrifice looks like this. This is what a living sacrifice looks like. And I think it directly connected to being a living sacrifice is the things that Paul uh, goes, to talk, goes on to talk about in these verses. And so let's just take a few minutes to briefly to talk about these things. Um, Verse 3, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So being a living sacrifice involves giving yourself away, uh, and we're about, he's about to talk about in what way here, and that's in spiritual gifts. It involves giving yourself away in the use of the gifts that God's given to you. But before even talking about that, Paul begins by saying, for I say through the grace given to me. So Paul here was exercising his spiritual gift, the gift of apostleship that the Lord had given him to write down the word of God, to write the word of God. But that was a grace of God at work in his life. It was God's grace that enabled him to do it. And Paul will go on here in just a moment to say, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So God has given us grace and faith to walk out what we've been called to walk out. But before getting into those spiritual gifts, he reminds us of the necessity of humility um, there um, in verse 3. In verse 3, he he, he says, not to think more highly of ourselves, but to think soberly. Not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And, you know, so there's a reminder there that there's no room for pride in the Christian life. There's no space for it. And there's a danger of pride showing up when we walk in the gifts the Lord's given. So as the Lord uses us, one of the things we have to watch out for as we step out and allow the Lord to use us is watch out for pride. Because pride wants to rear its ugly head. And so Paul here reminds us we have to think soberly. We have to remember who we are and where we came from. I love 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For there Paul says, For who, you makes, for who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you uh, did receive it, indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? And so, everything I have, everything you have has come from the Lord. 
And so there's no room for pride. There's no room for boasting where I'm a poor man. I had nothing. I had worse than nothing. I was dead when Christ showed up. And so whatever is good now, the gifts that he's given me to use to serve him, it's all his work. And so there's no place for lifting ourselves up. Um, You know, that word soberly there means to be prudent with focus on self-control, be reasonable, sensible, serious, keep one's head. (laughs) And so remember where we came from, right? And we're only here now by the grace of God. And so in verses 4 and 5, Paul reminds us that we're members of one body. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So just as he's using this analogy of the human body, which he uh, picks up and uses in 1 Corinthians uh, there when he talks about the gifts. Um, But just as our human body has many parts, uh, so the body of Christ has many parts to it, many, many pieces to the body of Christ. Um, Look around you this morning, the people that are around you this morning, the people that you saw as you walked through the door this morning, the people that you're going to see as you walk back out this morning, every one of them, if they've put faith in, their, in Jesus Christ, is a part of the body, is a part, is an integral part and piece of what God wants to do in his church. And so in order for us to be successful as a church, each person has to function and walk in the gifts that God has given us to walk in. And so that's that reminder there again. We're, each, we're, individu- we're individuals, yes, but we're also members together of one body. Uh, the word function uh, there in that verse implies a sustained activity. Um, so what Paul think is conveying there to us is, is that there's a particular thing that you and I have been given to do over the long haul, sustained activity in this thing. And Our job is to be faithful at that thing God has called us to do, to guard against getting distracted or stopping before God tells us to stop. And I think, to me, this is one of the biggest challenges I see for us as believers is just sticking with something. What has God called you to do? What has God called me to do? And let's have the sustained activity in it. Keep pressing on in that thing. Don't let whatever obstacles or discouragement or anything that comes, stop. Just press on and do what God has given you to do. And so continuing on in verses 6 through 8, Paul says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And so the first exhortation there is, you know, to use them. And I think what stood out to me here in verse 6 is that Paul assumes about this group of believers that he's never met that they each have a gift. That's an assumption that Paul makes there, and it's a valid assumption because it's, it's the case. Every believer has a gift. Each one of us has one spiritual gift. And, you know, notice, though, that he goes on to say, um, in verse, he says there in verse 6, uh, having then gifts different according to the grace that is given to us. So again, that word grace comes back up in the context of gifts, that we have the gifts we have, and it's a grace of God upon our lives. And so connected still to the idea of being a living sacrifice is we have a gift and gifts that God's given to us that we get to employ in being the living sacrifice that God's called us to be. 
And that's the only way we can truly be a living sacrifice, I believe, is in using the gifts that God's given to us. Peter, in 1 Peter 4, 10, 11, has a similar exhortation to what Paul is saying here. He says, there as each one has received a gift, again, each of us has one, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Again, the grace of God's in the picture there. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. God's grace deals out different gifts to different people. And God gives a necessary strength or ability to use whatever gifts we have. So we're responsible to use these God-given abilities as God's stewards. That's what we're called to do. And again, I th- my hope and the prayer this morning is, is that our hearts would be stirred to answer this call to be a living sacrifice. And recognizing that being a living sacrifice connected to it is walking in that gift that God's given to you. And, you know, and connected to that, I'll tell you, is this thing of faith. You know, there at the end of verse 6, Paul says, if the gift is prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. I think walking in the gifts that God gives you requires faith. It requires faith in believing that God gave this to me, and God's going to enable me to use it. And so I have to, as I answer the call to be a living sacrifice, I have to be willing to step out in faith and believe that the Lord's going to show up there. The Lord's going to meet me as I step out. And so this morning, if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, I'd encourage you to begin to seek the Lord and pray and ask the Lord to help you know what they are. What are the gifts that God's given? And some of the gifts, not all, were listed here in these verses there in Romans 12. Also, 1 Peter chapter 4, um, Ephesians 4, the spiritual gifts are listed. And then, of course, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 talks about spiritual gifts. And so, um, allow the Lord to stir your heart and to step out and to use the gifts that God has given to you um, and use it in the, with faith that the Lord's going to meet you there. The worship team can um, come forward. We're going to close. Um, and in just a moment, we're going to pray. And, you know, believer this morning, I just want to encourage you and myself too to examine our lives are we living as a living sacrifice? Is our life a living sacrifice? Are we walking in God's will for our life? Or are we kind of just doing our own thing, you know? Just making it by, um, not even thinking about whether this is God's will for me. Not even thinking about whether I'm offering myself to the Lord as a living sacrifice. And am I, are you, using the gifts God's given and, and living out that act of being a living sacrifice? Are we doing that? And I just want to ask you, to, as we uh, take a moment here to pause in just a moment, is just think on these things. You know, you examine your life. You let the Spirit of the Lord speak to you. And I just say if the answer is no to any of those things, I just encourage you to surrender it to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me to, to walk in this and to be the living sacrifice that you've called me to to be. And again, none of what the Lord's asking you to do is unreasonable. It's not. It's not unreasonable at all. And if you think it is, 
Just go back and read those first 11 chapters of Romans. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2 and think upon what the Lord has done for you in your life. And the beautiful thing this morning, the Lord is not going to put you under his thumb. He's not going to drag you by the scruff of your neck to what he wants you to do. He's calling you to just surrender it to him. Just let him have it and say, Lord, I'm yours. My life is yours. And then lastly, before we pause here, is if you don't know the Lord, let me just say the, today, as, as, as every day, is a perfect day just to give your life to the Lord. I serve a great king, a king who loves me unlike any other. And the best thing you could ever do is to surrender your life to him and to allow him to forgive you of your sins, to allow him to give you life and bring him into relationship with him and to be able to live your life for him. There's nothing better. There's nothing better. So let's just take a moment to pause and let's just, let's just let the Lord speak to us. Lord, I just thank you, Father, for your great love for us. Lord, thank you that you just didn't show up and say, uh, offer yourself to me. Lord, you showed up and first began the work of salvation in our lives and laid down your life. You loved us first, Lord. And Lord, so may our eyes be opened afresh this morning to who it is that's calling us to this life of a living sacrifice. Lord, help us to willingly and gladly, Lord, yield ourselves to you and walk in the will and the gifting, God, that you have for us. And I just pray this morning too, Lord, if there is anyone who doesn't yet know you, I pray they'd give their life to you, Lord. <laughs> Lord, because truly there is nothing better than knowing you. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you've done in our lives, Lord. We love you. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.